Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Our guest today is Dr. Marketa Huskova, the Executive Director of the American Nurses Association of California. There's no profession more on the front lines of the COVID response than California's nurses, and Dr. Huskova joins us to discuss several important pieces of legislation that will have a huge impact on how we navigate this unprecedented crisis. I hope you'll listen to this important conversation. Well, Dr. Skova, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your organization and what you focus on? So the ANA California stands for American Nurses Association in California. So we are the California chapter and we are the affiliate of the National American Nurses Association, ANA. And uh, we are a a bipartisan professional nursing organization. And we represent the interest of nearly 500,000 licensed registered nurses in California, regardless of their level of academic progression or place at work or what certifications nurses have or don't have. So we represent everybody. Um, Our mission is to uh, advance the health and well-being of all Californians. And uh, some of our pillars are uh, increasing access to care and uh, and making sure that uh, patients and public, they have access to appropriate, timely, relevant, and high-quality care. Um, as a state-level professional advocacy organization, um, ANAC has been involved extensively in uh, legislative efforts, in public policy development, in uh, regulation updates, um, and uh, and we pride ourselves on being part of um, the, the professional professional nursing, I guess, landscape in California, and we are proud to be part of the nursing excellence. Great. So that's just an amazing number of nurses in California. It's just worth pausing on that there's um, basically half a million nurses in California. Mm-hmm. That, that's got to be the largest profession in the state, if I'm not mistaken. It right? is. It is. And it is also, so there is around half a million registered uh, RNs uh, in, in California, and there is more than 4 million registered nurses in the United States. So the California, we are the largest state in terms of uh, nursing numbers. We also have the largest uh, licensing board, the Board of Registered Nursing. Um, the second uh, state after us is Texas. And they have, I think, 300,000 nurses or something like that. And if I am wrong, I apologize, but it's less than, than, less than what we have. And so it is really, California really is and should be a leader in nursing and in nursing excellence and in advancing the profession to really serve our public. And, and now I know there's a lot of other nursing unions and some other nursing organizations in the state. My, my understanding is what really makes you unique is you focus exclusively on the advocacy issues. You're not a union. Is, is that correct? Correct. Absolutely. We are a professional organization and we focus on, on, on nursing practice and on policy, policy development, regulation, and obviously legislation. Um, uh, nursing unions and labor unions, um, membership is mandatory, whereas we are a voluntary, voluntary uh, professional nursing organization. So, you know, the, that's a big difference right there. And plus also our members are working in various places in nursing, not only in hospitals where labor unions are normally usually represented. 
So that includes long-term care facilities, which mm-hmm. are so timely in Absolutely. the news right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Prayer. Clinics, federal uh, healthcare facilities, nursing homes, SNFs, um, skilled nursing facilities. Absolutely. Faculty, teaching, school nurses, you name it. Great. Well, as, as our listeners can hear from that description, you're truly at the front lines of the COVID fights and nobody I'd rather have on the show to talk about some of the important issues that we're grappling with as a state now. And you, you've got a big uh, group of legislative uh, priorities. Uh, let's focus on a few of them today be, because you're obviously got your hands on a lot of different things. But, but let's start with um, SB uh, 1237, which is this nurse midwife's scope of practice mm-hmm. issue. Can, can you describe that? Oh, absolutely. So uh, SB 1237, that's from Senator uh, Dodd and Assemblywoman Burke, and uh, it's called the Justice and Equity in Maternity Care Act, and it would really increase access to high value and high quality maternal health care. It would improve uh, maternal and newborn health outcomes. And, uh, and especially now during time uh, in California when we face critical uh, shortage of obstetricians. And, and especially when you kind of look that uh, African-American women uh, can die three or four times more likely are to die from giving birth or you know that African-American newborns can die four times more likely than, than white babies. And so I think that it's really important that, uh, that, that every woman has the opportunity to have access to care and have qualified midwife uh, for her care. And so um, uh, there are studies that there are at least nine counties in California, nine counties in 21st century, that still they don't have obstetrician or gynecologist at all. So sometimes, you know, it would be the nurse midwives that would be uh, delivering the care, or then, you know, in those communities, uh, people would have actually access to care, would have access to education, would have access to advocacy. And so I think it's really important that um, that we allow um, highly educated and certified midwives to do what they do best and look after our mothers and our new babies. And so how is the current California regulations preventing midwives from doing what they're capable of? The issue is that um, that certified nurse midwives, you know, currently they are up to 50,000, you know, natural births a year, which is, you know, that, that, that's pretty massive. And they have to have something that we call supervision of a physician. Now, when I ask you, what do you think supervision is? Um, you would tell me, or, you know, public would tell me that there is a nurse and he or she is doing something and then there is the physician who is supervising them. But that's not really true. That's not how it works. The physician is actually 50 miles away or, you know, the physician is not even in the facility. And if there is an issue or if there is a complication or if something is not within normal limits, the nurse would call physician and we would consult and and, uh, we would figure out through coordination of care, we would figure Figure out what to do. Um, there are, I think, California is. There are already forty-six other states that actually has innovative strategies that would allow nurse midwives to deliver a care independently without the, um, the required supervision of a physician. California is, you know, one of only four states that is still requiring a physician supervision of, of certified nurse midwives, and 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 these supervisory rules they create barriers to care because 
it really ties the nurse, the certified nurse midwife, it really ties them to a geographic place where a physician works. But we go back to, we still have nine counties that even don't have access to women's health care. And so I think this would really help the maldistribution of maternal health in areas uh, with the most vulnerable population. So that's why we're supporting SB 1237. So I'm curious about the politics of this because, you know, when you see California lagging 46 other states and a, a health care access issue, that, that seems, you know, out of whack for our values as a state. And, and I, I wonder just your take on why California is at the bottom of the heap on this and, and you know, maybe talk a little bit about the, the political obstacles that, that you have faced. Uh, you really want to get me in trouble. It is my understanding that it is the California Medical Association, which we work actually on plenty of issues. We work very well together and, and in clinical practice, we work very well together. It's just when you bring it to legislative political arena, everything changes and I understand why, but it is the physicians and, and obstetrician and, and, and GYN uh, physicians that are not in favor of nurse midwives um, working, uh, working without their immediate supervision. Um, but again, um, every time I speak with uh, California Association for Nurse Midwives, they tell me that there is plenty of work for everybody. What nurse midwives do, they deliver the healthy, normal, regular pregnancies, nothing complicating, no twins, no post-cesarean. I am not a midwife, but I did do my research and I studied, so I actually know what I'm talking about. So they really look after very healthy mothers with uh, birth, uh, hopefully without any complications. So there really isn't um, any fighting for fighting for complicated cases. That that's not the case. So I think that's why other forty six other states already have these innovative strategies. To, you know, and where nurse midwives are uh, members of the coordination team. Well, really key issue in particular as we're focused as a state on you know healthcare inequity. I certainly hope this is something the legislature can find a way to tackle yeah. this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, an issue that has some of the same threads in it. Um, let's talk about AB eight ninety, which is the the nurse mm-hmm. practitioner scope of practice bill. What, what mm-hmm. are you focused on there? I think that uh, in the same way we just spoke about SB 1237 in terms of certified nurse midwives, um, this is a very similar situation and uh, it is for, uh, it, it is in terms of nurse practitioners. Nurse practitioners are minimum master level, many have doctoral level nursing or nursing education. They have national certification and specific uh, training and specific education to provide uh, various specialties. And I know one of them is family, family practice or general practice. And then there is a specialty gerontology to be really looking after the very specific needs of our senior, uh, senior population. So these are, it is my understanding that those are the two strongest, um, strongest uh, represented specialties. And the issue is the same, that nurse practitioners must have, again, quote unquote, supervision. And again, the physician is not in the room. The physician is not in the home. The physician is not in the unit. It is the nurse practitioner doing their job and looking after uh, specific uh, specific um, specific specialties, right? Family practice or, or gerontology or maybe pediatrics. And so if whatever, if there is an issue that comes that is no longer within normal limits or that is completely out of the scope of a nursing uh, 
practice act we call a physician and we communicate and we collaborate and we work together that's exactly what it is you know in, inside a hospital or inside a clinic and i think that the supervision the supervisory role it requires that the physician sign a documentation that's what we are actually calling supervision and i think that um there are studies upon studies showing that nurse practitioners deliver um, as good of care as physicians in primary care, that nurse practitioners uh, deliver high patient outcome. Patients are happy with the kind of overall holistic uh, approach to care. And yet we hear from our physician colleagues that, um, that nurse uh, practitioners are not uh, experienced and they are not educated properly and, and they are not providing, not providing care. I am not saying that every nurse practitioner knows everything. I just know that, um, that the education and the training and the certification gives them the foundation to start be providing the you know, basic, basic care that, that they studied for. So where are other states on this issue? How does California compare? I think there is 22 or 23 other states that they have something that, uh, that where their legislature um, updated the outdated red tape and the outdated regulation from like 70s or 80s. Um, so, and California is actually one of the six states that we have very restrictive practice for nurse practitioners. And so anytime you see um, advanced practice registered nurses, such as nurse practitioners, anytime we see a map in of the United States, California is kind of always in the red because we are in the restricted, restricted practice. Um, I don't know if, if you remember, but uh, last year in 2019, California Health Workforce Commission issued a I thought groundbreaking um, report and one of the recommendations was that the role of a nurse practitioner is, uh, is inequitably important and could and should play in averting looming crisis in California primary care. And it's important to know that the commission was comprised of, I think, 20 highly respected uh, leaders in healthcare and was actually chaired by the U.S. President Janet Napolitano. One of the members of the commission uh, was Assemblyman Jim Wood, and he is the chair of Assembly uh, House Committee. And so uh, if, if I remember correctly, when the nurse practitioner's bill came up, maybe three years ago or something like this, I know he voted against it. But when he was serving on the commission, he really learned about the role of a nurse practitioner and what they do and how they do it and, and, and all their outcomes and patient satisfaction. And so it got to a point where he was actually, he is actually the author of AB 890. It's Jim Wordsville. And so I always like to talk about that because if you don't know, and if you don't really know what nurse practitioners do and, and how they approach care and the diagnosis and the chronic conditions they are managing in primary care, I think it's really easy. You know, the unknown is scary. So I think it's really easy to say, oh, you know, we should not let them be, you know, doing basic primary care because, you know, patients will die. That's, you know, one of the favorites we hear in, in advocacy because, you know, nurse practitioners don't have all those years of what physicians do. But we are not claiming to have that, and nobody wants to be doing that. We're talking about basic primary care. And so I think it was uh, Jim Wood is a fantastic example of, um, of what it takes when you actually uh, 
do learn what other practitioners do and about their outcomes and the studies and the evidence-based practice. Yeah, and this seems so critical in the age of COVID where, you know, cases are still swelling and we're certainly worried about the, the yep. availability of all care, including primary care. Now, um, Governor Newsom did some, did he do some temporary executive orders on this a few months ago? Um, that got a little confusing. What was, how did that work out? He did, but uh, he did, but he did not give even temporary authority to nurse practitioners or nurse midwives. He actually went out of his way during that one uh, press conference where he said that, oh, this issue is really complicated and really complex. No, it's not. The political issue of it's complicated and complex, but actually on the ground, in clinics and in hospitals, you know, we know exactly what to do and we work with our colleagues, physicians very well. We're great team. It's when you bring it into the political arena. That's where it gets a little bit murky. But, but no, uh, and I, you know what, <laughs> I, I, but I understand why he didn't do it because California, we were preparing for a huge onslaught of cases and uh, high hospital uh, acuity, which actually didn't happen back then. So I think that had the situation been, been much worse, uh, and thankfully it was not, I just think that had the need uh, had the need been there, I think he would have uh, lifted the authority, at least, you know, for, for a couple of months. But thankfully, we did not get to that point. Okay, so the executive orders at the time were limited to um, nursing students, is that correct? And whether they would be allowed to join the, join the workforce? Yeah, correct. Uh, the executive order from, I believe, March 31st, that there were two waivers that the Department of Consumer Affairs with uh, the Board of Registered Nursing that they issued. And uh, it was very early on in the pandemic that hospitals, rightfully so, were telling nursing programs and deans and directors of nursing schools that they will not be accepting nursing students because nobody knew what was coming. Nobody knew the extent of coronavirus. Uh, people were not even sure that we had enough of personal protective equipment. So I think the hospitals did uh, absolutely the correct, they took the correct step because they had to protect the students. And so ever since then, very early on in March, nursing, nursing programs were calling upon the governor and calling upon the DCA and BRN, Department of Consumer Affairs and BRN Board of Registered Nursing to give nursing schools the flexibility so they can assure that especially, let's say seniors, uh, that they have, that they will be able to get enough hours in alternate setting, in, uh, in telehealth. Telehealth is big now, all of a sudden everything can be done through telehealth. Why couldn't nurses nursing students, why couldn't they be part of, uh, I don't know, family, uh, family program, family practice, and, um, and checking, up on, checking up on patients and, and, and following up on, on questions that, let's say, uh, uh, patients left at a clinic. So there were plenty of nursing programs that tried to cooperate with local clinics that would allow nursing students to take this enormous opportunity to learn how to actually provide care during one of those most difficult times and uh and but but sadly uh the governor gave little bit of flexibility so the dca allowed to increase um, the number of um of hours not from not inside the hospital to 50 percent. it used to be only 25 percent, so now it's 50 percent and 50 percent. 
but the issue is that nursing schools were coming so were coming to us early april and already telling us that the half and half is already not enough and so we try to advocate and we try to um, negotiate or, or influence the DCA and VRN into giving them a little bit more flexibility, but that had not happened. So there are still some nursing students. Thankfully, I think that nursing programs did an amazing job trying to assure that especially the seniors that they could uh, finish their hours and then they could graduate and then they could sit for the national examination get their license and join our ranks but what about the, the the other students what about you know the second third fourth semester it's just it's um i think that that's something that many schools are still struggling and and it is my understanding that there are still some students that having incomplete for spring semesters and trying to figure out hours over the summer and the question is what is happening with full admission are they admitting full full um, uh, full number of students or is it just half bunch of schools said that they are actually not even opening physical schools everything's going to be online so it's still the unknown it's still the unknown that um, and i think for nurses we are okay with certain unknowns <laughs> But then it gets a little bit further and we, uh, we get very anxious because uh, in order for us to make the best decisions, we need to know at least what is, what is coming. Absolutely. Um, hugely important issue. Thank you. Yeah. That's a great summary. So let's, um, let's finally talk about everybody's favorite issue in Sacramento, AB5. AB um, and uh, there's so, so many different conversations on this bill going on, but you've got a particularly acute problem with how this could impact nurses. Could, could you explain that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So AB5, we still call it AB5, even though we know it's law, but we, everybody keeps calling it AB5. <laughs> so there were plenty of nurses, let's say lactation consultants, nursing education consultants, nursing media consultants. Uh, nursing education is fantastic in 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 sense that you can really take the education and your transferable skills and you can really um, flourish in various aspects of nursing or healthcare. And so uh, we've been so, uh, so supportive and our national organization is so uh, supportive of nurse entrepreneurship. And with AB5, that was a little bit squashed. And so uh, there are nurse, even like nurse anesthetists who uh, let's say are working for several hospitals, let's say again in rural areas. And now since they cannot be independent practitioners uh, or independent contractors, they have to then be an employee of one hospital. What about the other hospitals? So they cannot really work there anymore or they would have to be employees in various places. Nursing education consultants or media consultants or content cons consultants, nutritional consultants, none of them, I actually don't know what they're doing, but we hear from nurses that they cannot provide the services they, they want to because AB5 now the law doesn't allow it. So it's been a huge point of uh, upset and huge point of contention for, for, for many nurses. Um, not all because the majority of nurses still work inside a hospital and so we are employees in a hospital. But more and more nurses are branching out and so this really put a damper in, in their enthusiasm and their ability to actually make a living. And so that's why uh, trying to fix it and trying to make sure that nursing and nurses are 
uh, part of the exempted groups, but we are not, and we were, and we actually were never meant to be. And so any uh, attempt at discussing and uh, talking about why it is not a good thing, we did not even get an opportunity. Yeah, so, so this is sort of a strange version of the, the AB5 debates because you've got nurses who, in some cases, may be union members who were pushing for this mm -hmm. bill. Mm -hmm. um, and, those, and I assume those unions are fighting your, your fix mm -hmm. on this bill still. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that fair? I would say that's fair, yes. Right. So, so you've got some nurses kind of in crosshairs with their own, um, you know, with, with their own union, who's not necessarily representing their interests, in particular in these rural areas. This has been such an important mm -hmm. issue in the age of COVID of making sure that there is a, a, enough access in these places. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, cur I'm curious about the politics on this one, because this makes such good common sense to have this flexibility. How, how, could, how does anybody um, argue against you when, you when you have this conversation? Oh boy, uh, there are no easy questions with you, is there? Uh, <laughs> well, well, you know, very simply said, um, obviously uh, labor unions, uh, they have different interests and different strategic objectives, and they believe that all nurses should be employees. Now, labor unions usually operate inside hospitals, and we absolutely understand um, how they see it because the all majority, I think all nurses working actually inside a hospital, they're employee. But as we talked earlier, there is at least 45% of, okay, 40, maybe 42% of nurses not working in hospitals anymore. And they are affected because nurses uh, having business or nursing being in media or contents or lactation specialists, nutritional specialists, they are being targeted, let alone nurse anesthetists and even nurse practitioners with, you know, with their own um, practice and offering services to, to other businesses. And I think that that's something that especially nurse midwives and nurse uh, anesthetists and even nurse practitioners, they've been really hard hit. For me as a if, if I can call it as a regular registered nurse, if I were working in a hospital, AB5 would not touch me. But if I am nurse anesthetist and I am living in Shasta and, you know, and I can provide services to three different hospitals because I am a independent contractor, it affects me very deeply. And it affects the community because then uh, nurses cannot be uh, improving access to care. And that's one of our pillars. That's why it is so important to us. Absolutely. Well, that's that's a big legislative agenda. You you certainly have a lot on your plate. These issues are, are more timely than ever, and we really appreciate the, the great summary that you've provided today and what you're working on. If people want to read more about these topics or get involved with your organization, where can they go? Oh, absolutely. Our website is www.anacalifornia.org, all spelled out, anacalifornia.org. And uh, you can, or you can also follow us on all our various social media. We have a fantastic uh, staff. We have Terry side our office and Jared as our communication specialist. And so they are really um, advancing our presence. So ANA California on Facebook at ANA California on Twitter. I think we even have Instagram. So we are everywhere. Just look us up. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, Dr. Skova, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Nation State of Play. Our producers are Hannah Miller and Jacqueline Artiaga. 
If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. For more information, click through the link on your podcast app to our homepage.